0: Welcome to On Texas Football. I'm Bobby Burton, your host, joined today by Mike Huguenin. Mike is the college sports editor for On3, formerly of uh, the Sporting News, uh, the Athletic, uh, even all the way back to the National, if you remember that newsprint in the uh, 90s, uh, National Sports Daily. Uh, Mike, welcome in today, bud. Thanks for having me on. always enjoy this. I want to talk about two things with you today. Uh, I want to talk about, uh, first of all, realignment, because we have some uh, information there, we want to talk about and try to go over. And uh, I want to explain a little bit how I see it impacting Texas as well as what you see on the national landscape. Uh, and then, furthermore, uh, we want to talk about some transfer quarterbacks, uh, doing some digging. Matt, Mike has been looking at this on a national uh, level as well as in the Big 12. Uh, this, the conference as a whole, the Big 12, is likely to start six of 10 quarterbacks that will be transfers this year. Uh, Mike, uh, before I get started, though, and going on realignment, I want to do two things. One, I made a mistake in yesterday's video uh, saying that Priest Holmes was from San Antonio Holmes. Of course, I knew he went to Marshall. I was actually at the game, and they didn't win it. And I still was I was just going quickly through the, through the video, but I want to make that uh, uh, comment. And then secondly, Joe Cook st- uh, stood in for me last week uh, on a number of videos. And I want to uh, say thank you to Joe. Uh, and I uh, really appreciate you guys giving us a chance to stick with it. All right, Mike, let's let's get in uh, to realignment talk. Uh, my big thing right now on realignment is twofold. All right, Really one is that I believe it's not just ESPN and Fox making the decisions anymore or dangling carrots in front of people. I think Amazon and Apple are now real players as we get into 24 and 25 from a streaming perspective, and could move the needle for conferences like the Big 12 and Pac 12 and ACC. It's no longer just Fox and uh, and and uh, Fox and uh, ESPN as well as NBC with uh, with Notre Dame.
1: Agree with that. We did a couple stories uh, last fall, as a matter of fact, talking to some. TV executives, uh, sort of intermediaries that that deal with both TV executives and conference commissioners. The streaming idea, obviously, is out there. You look look at NFL Thursday night football, streaming service only. And we also were told by two folks that CBS isn't necessarily giving up on college football. Yes, they lost the SEC deal, but college football, there's a reason you want to show it on Saturday afternoon. So they're a potential bidder as well. But the streaming services add vastly different layers to all of this. You could have streaming services in conjunction with networks, streaming services by themselves, all sorts of stuff. And the one thing to remember is the NFL is on all four major networks plus a streaming service. Why couldn't college football be the exact same?
0: Yeah, and, and to go one further, and this is, uh, this is interesting because I was, I was talking to somebody uh, yesterday about this. Even more interesting about the streaming services is it takes regionality out of the out conference, of, Yes, um, because all of a sudden you can have an ACC, Pac-12 alliance, or ACC, Big-12, or you know, however, whatever iteration you want, you might talk about Pac-12 and Big-12 is the biggest one right now uh, that we're hearing about. But when you do away with regionality, like you did with USC and UCLA going to the Big Ten. Uh, what do you think that means to college football long-term? Are we going to see football-only conferences? Is that a possibility? Yeah. Or- I, I,
1: yeah. Again, you know, we I think both of us are a certain age. We can remember the 1982 Supreme Court TV decision where it took away the NCAA no longer held TV rights. It was each school. And even in 1982, you had people going, oh, this is the death knell for college athletics. You're going to have this super conglomeration of teams. Well, here we are, forty years later. That hasn't happened, though. I would argue that USC and UCLA going to the Big Ten, a league that now literally stretches from sea to shining sea, uh, I think that that day is coming. You know, I don't think it's imminent, but I think you could have football-only conferences in, in maybe twenty years, and maybe only fifty teams or sixty teams are playing at the absolute highest level. But you're right, the streaming service aspect of this changes everything. Um, You know, no longer do you need to sit in front of your big screen TV to watch a football game. You can watch on your phone and the streaming services, uh, especially it it is, I think, an age thing. You know, I'm almost 60. I don't like watching stuff on my phone. My daughter who's in college has no problem with it at all. And I think it is an age thing. And and that's why I think streaming services are going to get involved in this next round of TV uh, contract negotiations. They
0: they always say live programming drives viewers everything, yes. and and that's that's why live programming is is so huge for whether it's a cable carrier uh, or a whatever uh, whatever you, you want to say. Um, let's talk about some specifics of actual movements within conferences. Okay, it sounds like right now if you you and I were to you know we're not necessarily. One hundred percent experts on this. We do hear things, obviously, based on our long time in the industry. You've been in, you've been doing this forty years. I've been doing it thirty, right? That gives you a sense of it. It sounds to me, as of right now, Notre Dame holds the cards oh. for the next domino, right?
1: Yeah, they they are the the school that every league wants, a true national brand, and a school that there's no gray area. Either you love the Irish or you hate them. And um, if you hate them, you like watching them lose. If you love them, you like watching them win. So, yeah, they drive they drive TV eyeballs. And the interesting aspect of their their Notre Dame their Notre Dame's TV deal with NBC is not that lucrative. So, I think Notre Dame is sitting there hoping it can remain an independent and make a lot more money. But there may come a day where they have to realize, for us to truly truly parlay this into huge bucks, we might need to join a league. But
0: can they right now without like suffering some major financial penalty?
1: I, I think football aspect. I'm not sure about that. I know they're all you know, all their sports for the most part are tied in with the ACC. Football's not though. They have a alliance deal, so to speak. They play five ACC games a year. But um, contracts are made to be broken. That's what the lawyers are for. So it, it would not be. Let's put it this way: There's no question that the idea of Notre Dame in their league causes conference commissioners to salivate and to me Notre Dame's best fit is the Big Ten though I think Greg Sankey would probably say no their best fits the SEC so they are the biggest domino by far Um, you know let's say you have 100 dominoes Notre Dame's the size of 50 of them
0: yeah I, I think that everybody thinks Notre Dame would be best fitted best suited for the Big Ten but they've rebuffed that forever yes in, in part not only because of their independence but because of the lack of private universities in the conference there's I mean, only, only one other
1: one yeah, yeah Northwest. Northwestern. one but um, now with, with usc coming in there's two yeah so um but yeah no, the, the whole premise of notre Dame as an independent here we are in 2022 it's sort of mind-blowing the other independent, you know they're in the same group with umass uconn and new mexico state those are the other independents because nobody wants those other teams. Everybody wants Notre Dame. Now Liberty's an independent this year. They won't be next year.
0: Yeah. This, this is a question for you then say Notre Dame goes, and this is one of the ones I've been hearing in the state of Texas is TCU as another private school. I know. I'm, I I think that the big 10 will would like a beachhead in Texas.
1: Oh yeah. I don't think. A- it,
0: yeah. And I think that, I, I don't know if it would be TCU or U of H, I don't think it'd be University of Houston, but TCU, Stanford, Oregon, joining, not Washington, joining in the Big Ten with Notre Dame. Those four apparently have some allure as a grouping. I, I don't know all of why and whatnot, but I do think that uh, that's a possibility.
1: Yeah, the the idea that Oregon, which is willing to spend inordinate amounts of money on its athletic program, is going to be sort of left behind is sort of mind blowing. I don't think that's going to happen. Stanford seemingly is tied at the hip to Cal. I'm not, a lot of folks think that. I'm not sure that's the case. Cal's vision on athletics um, does not necessarily align with a lot of FBS schools. Um, Stanford's athletic program is the best in the nation. They win the Athletic Directors' Cup every single season. You could argue uh, that all, all – Not the last
0: two. Not the last two. The Longhorns have won the last two
1: okay. Athletic Directors' Cup. Okay. The, <laughs> um, but the, the, the weird thing about Stanford is they play more sports than anybody else, and their worst program is probably football. Um, and the academics, they have a gigantic um, endowment – Um, great school. They recruit, they recruit nationally for students and for athletes. They got international students. So adding Stanford to your league is a prestige move on a lot of levels.
0: Yeah. You got to wonder what exactly it all means, because um, I was talking to Ivan Mazel last week and and we had him on and he's a Stanford grad, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. And he, he thinks that Stanford's going through this major, uh, thought process of where do athletics fit in its greater ecosystem they tried to cut some sports last year uh, the alumni revolted basically uh, and they have this huge endowment specific specifically for sports and all of those cuts got got taken away no cuts at all I don't think or, or very few uh, in comparison to what was proposed and so I'm looking at it and, and seeing all this but the one that's interesting to me is TCU because yeah, you wouldn't think mean- Yeah, you you haven't heard their name nationally, uh, but I have heard it recently. And the reason why is the Dallas Fort Worth Metroplex. Apparently, TCU draws better on TV than the other schools that we're talk a lot of the other schools that we're talking about, and it gives them a Dallas Fort Worth presence. Yeah, I don't know. I I don't know how much of that is wish casting by some people around TCU uh, versus how much is reality. But it also would bring another private school into the conference with Notre Dame.
1: Right, and I think if you're Texas and Texas A&M, you're quite happy. I mean, Texas obviously going to the SEC. I, I think Texas to the Big Ten would have made sense at one time. I don't think it does now. So that that means you're right. You're down to your third school in the in in the state of Texas, which is the most attractive. You know, it's certainly not Texas Tech. I don't think SMU is that attractive. Baylor has some. Uh, you know, I don't think I'll be honest. I don't think Big Ten wants to be affiliated with Baylor um houston that's i think the academics there aren't as good as the big ten wants so tcu in some respects some respects not all some that that would make a little bit of sense but it's still hard for me to believe that tcu would be in the big ten but then again if you're tcu and they come calling you crawl on your knees to to take that invitation
0: yeah it's it's a it's a 60 million dollar delta between what you would make in one league versus another of course You'd be be, uh, crazy not to. to. Um, I'm interested to see how Oregon uh, and uh, Washington play out here, uh, because that's a part of the country that is actually football mad. I mean, Oregon and Washington love their football, uh, but they're so geographically pushed um, that, you know, they can't be a member of the SEC, you wouldn't think. Uh, But, you know, in in a one-game scenario, I I just – I'm wondering – you know where this all plays out because I think that for this true national league that we're talking about, where uh, you have a Big Ten and an SEC basically evolving and eating all other conferences, kind of like the AFL and the are the AFC and the NFC. I think what has to happen is you have to go to football only leagues.
1: Yes, that, that makes sense, and the, that's the and only your-
0: way you're going to get there. Otherwise, I mean, Duke, Wake Forest. North uh, Wake Forest and Duke are great basketball-heavy fan bases. Would they necessarily be taking money to the to, to the no. parade if they didn't play those sports? And that sport is, I think, one eighth of any TV deal
1: now. They say it's it's, it's infinitesimal. And that was, if can if basketball if people cared about basketball from Kansas would be in a league, a big league, and they they're not. So Kansas football, it's the Kansas athletic program, truthfully is a non-entity. So you're right. I mean, the basketball aspect of this, plus you're going to tell all those biggie schools that spend millions of on basketball, Marquette, Georgetown, St. John's, um, Gonzaga is another one that's out there. So it's, yeah, I think the football only aspect is eventually going to be here. That's when the, the conglomeration occurs, but it's hard for me to, see a future like that that does not include Washington. It's a huge Seattle media markets top 20 nationally. Washington's a very good academic school. It's a member of the AAU. Uh, There's only 65 colleges in the AAU and two of them are in Canada. So Washington brings a lot to the table. Um, The athletic program is, is not bad overall. Um, but again, it's it's in a big media market. And the interesting thing is I think they're more tied with Oregon than they are with Washington State. Washington State and Oregon State, I think those are two shining examples of, well, you're in the Power Five now, but the, the clock is ticking on that for you guys. Yeah, do they end up in the Big 12, Washington
0: State and Oregon State, along with Iowa State? and And I don't know. I mean, Utah is another team that's been thrown out there. They're kind of like this – Bridge, I think Utah and Colorado are like a bridge potentially between the Big Twelve and uh, the Pac-12. Right? They, they're and, the and two d- schools that are the outliers.
1: Right. And Denver is a large media market, and that 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 does matter because, you're, like you say, talking we're talking about this is all driven by TV money and the idea that Colorado's it's not in Denver, but it's in Boulder, which is Denver. Yeah. Yeah. It's, 30 miles away. it's it's that's that that's the kind of stuff that people are looking at. Yeah, I think I think re- realignment's
0: fascinating. I think where it's going. Uh, key takeaways here: uh, do not discount the importance and value that streaming services yes. uh, can bring. Do not discount any iteration based on geography. Right. I think geography's kind of out of the out of it, right? Because and- think about
1: it. USC and UCLA are in a league with Rutgers now. Seriously. I mean, that's a school in New Jersey is in the same league as two schools in California. So, yeah, the the, the geography aspect is not important anymore.
0: Yeah, it, it's over. Um, all right. So let's, let's move forward to, to some stuff that uh, affects Texas fans directly, I think, right now. Uh, and that's this. Uh, I, you know, the Big 12, as of right now, just going down the list, has six expected starting quarterbacks, if you include Quinn Ewers as the expected starter at Texas, that are transfers from other schools. Now, I think four new ones are coming in. Uh, Ewers, Dylan Gabriel at Oklahoma.
1: Um, who are the others? Oh, Adrian Martinez. And JT Daniels at West Virginia. Yeah. And the so two new ones would be Tyler Shuck at Texas Tech. And Chandler Morris, if he wins a job at TCU. And, and I, I think in some respects, Morris fits what Dykes wants to do better than Max Duda does.
0: So. Yeah, I, I agree with that. He's quicker with the ball. Uh, and and he grew up in that system too. And,
1: and that's, that's, yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah. Um, and they have some playmakers. I think TCU has some playmakers that he's going to want to get involved in the game quickly. All right. So where do you, with, with these quarterbacks, the best one of the group, in your opinion, day one, who's that going to
1: be? Dylan Gabriel. Um, I I live in Orlando. um, Saw him play in a up-tempo offense um, when Heupel was the coach at UCF. He's listed at six foot. I don't think he's six foot, but he is. He's got sort of a gunslinger mentality. He makes good, quick decisions. He throws a really nice deep ball. So if I'm Marvin Mims, I – all to my knees every night and whoever I pray to I'm like thank you for bringing Dylan Gabriel to my campus because if you lose Caleb Williams and you lose Spencer Rattler well, Dylan Gabriel ain't bad as a fit plus Dylan Gabriel has worked one season with Jeff Lutney, the new play caller so I think Gabriel from day one is going to put a big numbers I think he's a 4,000 yard passer this year
0: yeah I, and so you really are are, are you high on Gabriel himself or the Oklahoma offense as a whole? The
1: Oklahoma I, I, on both. I, I think Gabriel is a great fit for what Levy wants to do. And I think we know what Levy wants to do because he's already done it. So um, I think Gabriel meshes well with their returning talent, their receiving core. I, I'm not sure is as good as it normally is, but I think Marvin Mims could have a gigantic season. I think he has like 67 catches in two years. He should be a 70 catch guy this year alone. So, um, the running game should be fine at, at OU. And I think Gabriel, uh, he can make off platform throws. He can throw on the run. He can hurt you with his legs. He can keep plays alive. Uh, I think he's just a great fit for that offense.
0: That's interesting. That's going to be, uh, that's not what Texas fans want to hear, but that's not necessarily what we're trying to give them. We're trying to give them the, the truth. Um, what do you make of the other transfers? Adrian Martinez, particularly at Kansas State.
1: You know, Adrian Martinez as a freshman looked exactly the same as Adrian Martinez as a senior. So I don't know if that's the Nebraska coaching staff. I don't know if uh, he'll fit better in a different style of offense. Um, I think one huge positive for Martinez, I think he had to do a lot himself at Nebraska. He's got Deuce Vaughn. Um, So a lot of pressure on Martinez I think will be uh, alleviated. Now, Martinez makes just a boatload of mistakes, man picks, bad decisions, fumbles. So um, maybe playing in a less freewheeling offense will be a positive for Martinez because he is a good runner. He's not a bad passer. I, I, I just think he's somewhat limited. Uh, I guess he can do a few more things for K-State than they have been doing, but the offensive focal point is going to be Deuce Vaughn. And if Adrian Martinez screws too many things up and you pinch him, and put in a guy in who doesn't make mistakes, but the mistake prone aspect of Martinez would scare me as a K State fan.
0: Does JT Daniels do anything for you at West Virginia?
1: I guess he's, he's working with Graham Harrell, uh, who was his offensive coordinator as a, as a freshman at USC when he had the really good year. I think West Virginia's receiving core. They lost Winston Wright. I'm a big fan of Winston Wright, even though he's at Florida State now. And he may not play because he got in a car wreck. So I don't know how good West Virginia's offense is going to be. I think Daniels and Harrell will be on the same page. But the one thing that struck me about Neil Brown's tenure at West Virginia, here's a guy who made his bones as an offense-minded coach. And they have really struggled on that side of the ball. Um, JT Daniels really hasn't played important football since he was a freshman. He played – he didn't play at all basically last year. He played four games at the end of 2020 when Georgia's season basically they lost to Florida and they see. well, we're not winning the East. So I, I don't know how good JT Daniels truly is. Um, I think he might be more consistent in his predecessor, but I, I don't think he's a huge upgrade. Maybe I'm wrong, but just because he hasn't played in so long, I, I, I have reservations
0: Mike, what do you think of Quinn Ewers and his his next stop in Austin? Here, um, I went to the spring game. It uh, was there. Uh, had obviously heard some things behind the scenes. Have continued to hear things behind the scenes. Um, it sounds like uh, he's he is not he has not officially taken the reins, but he's getting close to it. Hudson Card's still fighting that, but uh, Ewers' talent is yes. is so undeniable. You know, at what level and what Texas added on offense in general with Isaiah Nayor, even Tariq Milton late, Jaleel Billingsley. Um, what are your thoughts on on Texas and, and what yours and the Texas offense might look like?
1: Yeah, yours has a ton of weapons, obviously. And he, he is evidently, well, I don't think it's evident, he's physically immensely talented physically. Um, hasn't played an important game since 2020 he had I think he played two games last year both those were handoffs against Michigan State but he has I think he has the it factor and that's important for your quarterback um you're right the receiving core looks really good at Texas Bijan Robinson is if he's not the best running back in the country he's certainly in the top three the offensive line I think will be good enough but I think Ewers the the ceiling with Ewers is immensely higher than it is with Hudson Carr um, maybe Ewers makes a few more mistakes right out of the gate. But I think if you have a, a talent like that, at quarterback, you sort of have to live with some mistakes early to make sure he's where you want him to be in week six or seven. So I, I would be shocked if Quinn Ewers doesn't start. And again, the everything you read about him while he was in high school, he, even the Ohio State people said, oh, he throws a nice ball. He's got a really strong arm. He's got the it factor. Ball comes out. You know, wickedly fast. Uh, I think he's going to have a, a really nice season. Uh, earlier, earlier this uh, spring, I did a projection of all the three thousand yard passers in the country, one thousand yard receivers, and one thousand yard rushers, and I had Texas in all three categories. So, I, I think the Texas offense is going to be quite good. Billingsley is sort of a wild card for me because he was he was in the doghouse at Alabama, um, but he is a tight end. Who creates mismatches in the secondary? So you add him to Nayer and Worthy and Milton. That's 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 four dudes who can catch and get deep.
0: And Whittington at uh, Jordan Whittington. Yeah, who, I forgot about him. You're right. Yeah, who who literally has been injured so much? It's hard to uh, hard to peg him for what he's going to actually eventually. Just, and there's here. also Roshan Johnson. Yeah,
1: who's NFL scout uh, Matt Zena, who I work, with, who we work with, wrote a story about uh, under the radar draft possibilities from the Big Twelve, and some NFL scouts have Roshan Johnson as a potential second round pick. So that is an incredible amount of offense for Texas skill yeah. position
0: guys. Let Let me ask you this. That, this is a good question. Um, uh, there's a Texas also has an underrated tight end. Uh, he's not. He wasn't underrated in high school because he's a five star coming out, but Jatavian Sanders. Apparently is going to win the is winning the starting inline tight end position at this point. Um, now, obviously, we got fall practice to go, uh, but he looked good in the spring game as well. If you add him to Billingsley. How good is the Texas receiving unit on a national level? You have you have Worthy, who's, who I thought had a scintillating. There's no other way to put it. Scintillating freshman year. Nayor, Texas coaches feel like he's an NFL player. Uh, then you add in Whittington, Tariq Milton, uh, guys like Billingsley and Sanders. I mean, what what are – where do they even sit in your mind right now? Or is it a TBD situation?
1: No, I think it's certainly top ten. And, in fact, doing something on that in about two weeks. Um, and they're certainly going to be in the top ten. And I, I think the question is, are they going to be a top five receiving unit? Um, Mayor, if you didn't see this kid play – Wyoming last year – They were painful to watch offensively because they were all about the run. They're not sophisticated passing attack. And the kid, I think he had 47 catches and 12 went for touchdowns. He can get deep and he was the only receiving threat, the only one. So now you add, you, you, you can't, Oh, we gotta we gotta focus on Nayer. Oh my God, there goes Xavier Worthy with a 70-yard catch. So it's it's if I'm Isaiah Nayer, I'm ecstatic to be playing with a guy like Worthy, Um, Billingsley, Milton, all these dudes. Bijan Robinson's a good catcher out of the backfield. So uh, this and not counting him as a receiver, but yeah, this Texas receiving core certainly is one of the top 10 in the country. He might even be top five.
0: Yeah, I talked with Paul Wadlington of Inside Texas yesterday he made the comment that Texas fans are very aware of just how much Xavier worthy meant to the Texas passing offense last year. I mean, he was the guy that they went to. Uh, well, Paul came up with the stat that Isaiah Naor actually was more meaningful to the Wyoming yes. <laughs> passing attack than Xavier worthy was to the, uh, Texas one. And I think that that's uh, an interesting idea as you, as you go forward. Um, The the other thing I want to mention here is uh, the Big 12 as a whole is in this state of flux, right? We mentioned realignment already. Um, We've mentioned uh, the incoming quarterbacks uh, that are new uh, to the conference. Um, As you sit back and look at it, it, we're almost a year now from when Texas and OU dropped the bomb on the world about the SEC, right? Almost a year. Do you think, do you think Texas was wrongly accused here? Do you think it's now just looking more and more like it was the course of business? Um, do you like where Texas is headed? Do you like where college football is headed? I mean, I know this is an open-ended question, but you know, I'm trying to lean into your institutional knowledge here, being around the sport for 40 years, you know, what, what are your thoughts?
1: Well, think about this. When Oklahoma and Texas left the Big 12 here, it was like I said about a year ago. Everybody's like, oh, my God, the Big 12s dude. Here we are basically a year later. And the Big 12 has a chance to solidify itself as the third best of the power fives and actually put itself in a better position. So the idea that Texas and Oklahoma, why would anybody begrudge them leaving? Um, like you said, it's 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 business. Um, this is an era of college athletics where you got athletic directors diving under couches for nickels and dimes. Every single bit of money we can find, we need. So just like USD and UCLA were looking out for themselves, so were Oklahoma and Texas. Now, from a college football old-person fan standpoint, this is a little bit bothersome. I don't want to be seen as an old guy, get off my lawn kind of stuff. But, um, yeah, I remember when... All five New Year's Day bowls were played on New Year's Day. All five major bowls were on one day. And I think it's, it is, I think, an age thing. Uh, NIL is, is long overdue. I have zero issues with the transfer portal. As normal students, you and I could have gone to five schools in five years. Why treat athletes differently? The, the conference thing is sort of much harder to wrap your head around. Again, UCLA and USC are in the same league as a school from New Jersey. That just doesn't make sense to me, but um, it doesn't make sense to me from a tradition and history standpoint, but tradition and history don't mean Jack anymore for, yeah. for college athletics.
0: So you think the Big 12 is, is a better co- football conference than the ACC at this point? Oh, yes. Even with oh, those yes. guys? Yes. Really?
1: I mean, the ACC, we didn't even talk about them. Their, the fact that their TV rights deal runs till 2036, which was seen as something that needed to be done at the time to make sure everybody stayed together. Now, that's not. if I'm Clemson, man, I am really worried about my viability. Um, if I'm Miami, if I'm Virginia Tech, if I'm FSU. And I think North Carolina is a school that the Big Ten would want, that the SEC would want. It's the ninth largest state in the country. Uh, North Carolina is the bell cow of the ACC. It's sort of like a Jenga game. You take North Carolina out of that Jenga stack, Jenga's falling to the ground. So North Carolina is, is, is a vitally important school. Um, and I think the Big 12 this year is better than the ACC top to bottom. And adding Houston, UCF, BYU, and Cincinnati uh, adds even more strength. And if you bring in some of those Pac-12 leftovers like Oregon, that's, that's a really good league. Gotcha. It just, it, it's so
0: odd to me uh, how this is all panned out. Yes. Um, I, I do think that, uh, I do think that uh, Texas is in a situation right now where they're sitting back and just waiting to see how it all plays out. They've kind of made their move and now where does this go? Does the do you think the SEC expands anytime soon?
1: I think that you're, you're if Sankey is not a dumb person, he looks, I think he's looking at what went on and yes, I, you know, the idea that, I think again, 16 team leagues are unwieldy 18 or 20. Oh my God. But that doesn't matter anymore. So it's all about getting more and more TV money. So, yeah, I think that the idea that the big 10 could still expand and the sec could still expand. Yes. I think that's a given. What
0: I, you think about where would the sec go most likely in your opinion? Well,
1: I think North Carolina is a prime example. I think Clemson is a, is an example, Virginia tech, um, Florida State, I think, has some interest, um, but, you know, if I'm, if I'm University of Florida, I don't know if I want FSU or Miami in my league. Um, also, I'm wondering about Pitt. Um, that's, you know, a school with a lot of football tradition. Um That's another school that's. I think they probably fit better in the Big Ten. I don't think that. Again, I'm not sure fit matters that much anymore. But I think if I'm the SEC, if I can get Clemson and North Carolina in my league, I'm ecstatic. What if you could get Notre Dame? Oh yes. Well, yeah. That's. I think. But I. I, I'll be honest. I don't think Notre Dame wants to align itself with the SEC. You know, you mentioned Stanford earlier as being a school that. You know, do we really want to get into this academic athletic thing? I think Notre Dame's the same way, except they've already come to the realization. Hell yeah, we want to do this athletic thing. And Stanford's still sort of muddling through that. So, but I don't think Notre Dame thinks of itself uh, as a fit um, with the SEC, especially if they can go to the Big Ten and make just as much money as they would in the SEC, if not more.
0: What if they added North Carolina and and. Notre Dame simultaneously. That might be an interesting mix.
1: That would be. Yeah. Because then I, you're bringing in another high profile. High profile academic, academic school. school. Yeah. And the, the SEC has a couple of AAU schools, Florida, Vanderbilt. Um, pretty sure that Georgia's an AAU school, but the, uh, the SEC. Yeah, no, not, Texas is
0: they, as well.
1: But, I, I, I yeah. You, and you're, yeah. you're, you're,
0: you're, you're right on, I, I think in, in, you're thinking that the big 10 makes the most sense because that's where they, I mean, they're in Indiana. I mean, (laughs) you know, it makes the most sense. And that's why I think, you know, they're also looking for to align themselves potentially with more uh, private schools, USC uh, being one of them, potentially Stanford. I mentioned TCU for that very purpose as well. So, I mean, look, long story short, there's a lot of movement out there. Uh, Mike, I, I appreciate your time today, bud. Uh, Enjoy it. Illuminating, and we've had a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, no, but one thing about the expansion, you know, again, the idea that UCLA and USC are in the Big Ten means everything is wide open now. Everything. Yep. So you, you can't no, – there's nothing that doesn't make sense anymore.
0: Got it. So. All right. Mike Huguenin, uh, On3 Sports College editor. How you, uh, I appreciate your time today, Mike. And, Enjoy uh, will We'll be talking to you soon. Right, I'm Bobby man. Burton. This has been –